Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. As you know, on this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it, or hated it, we look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, we look at bad movies, we look at movies we loved, and we look at movies that we hated. And this week we're going to be looking at Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Now, if you haven't seen this movie yet, please be aware that this podcast does contain spoilers, which will definitely change your experience of the movie. And it's interesting that these spoilers will change your experience of the movie, because this should be an impossible movie to spoil. The title of the movie is Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. The logline of the movie tells you it's about a friendship between a teenage boy and a girl with cancer. And even the main character himself tells you at the very beginning of the movie that he made a movie so bad that somebody died from watching it. Every single thing about how this movie was constructed is basically telling you this girl is going to die. And there's an interesting thing that happens to an audience when they know they're watching a movie that's going to hurt them. They start to put a little cocoon around themselves to protect themselves from getting hurt. Now, whether you loved Mia Earl and the Dying Girl or whether you hated it, whether you're part of the crowd that was ready to stand up and give it a standing ovation when it premiered at Sundance, where it went on to win the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize and ultimately get snagged up after a very fierce bidding war, or whether you're part of the more skeptical crowd who have accused the film of being cliché in its depiction of Earl and Rachel and of its self-aware film references... One thing that you have to admit about me, Earl, and the Dying Girl is that the movie is devastating. And it's not easy to devastate an audience, especially when they come to a movie called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's not easy to devastate them, to actually move them to a point of personal exposure because of the protective wall that that audience is going to put up between themselves and a film when they know the film is going to hurt them. So today, I want to talk to you about how to get an audience to take down their walls. In Lesser Hands, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl is a lifetime movie. In Lesser Hands, it's just another movie in a long line of melodramatic tearjerkers. The kind of movies that make you cry, but don't really change your life. The kind that make you cry in a safe way. And Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl does not make you cry in a safe way. And the reason for this is that it sucks you in to seeing the world through the main character, Greg's eyes. Now, the film has taken a lot of criticism for this, as I've mentioned. It's been argued that Rachel, the girl who's dying of cancer, exists for no other reason than to force Greg to change. It's been argued that uh, Earl is portrayed in a stereotypical fashion, being a wise black character from the wrong side of the tracks in a dangerous part of town. And it's even been argued that the main character, Greg, is such a total narcissist that he's unaware of anybody besides himself and the world. And yet, at the same time, what is actually wonderful about this movie, and for me, successful about this movie, is the way that it pulls you in to Greg's perspective in exactly this way. The way it forces you to see the movie through the eyes of a teenage boy. And the most obvious way that me, Earl, and the dying girl does this is by lying to you. This movie lies to you. Specifically, this movie tells you that the girl doesn't die. Greg tells you in his voiceover, again and again, that this girl doesn't die. And this should not be something that works in a movie. You should not be able to tell your audience, the girl doesn't die, the girl doesn't die, the girl doesn't die, and then kill her at the end. 
But the reason it works in this film is that by telling you that the girl doesn't die, you're being pulled into Greg's perspective. It forces you to see the movie through the eyes of a boy who, even though he knows she's dying, just can't accept it. There's this devastating line after Rachel passes away when Greg tells you, I know I said she wouldn't die. I really believe she wouldn't. And if anything encapsulates the truth of Greg's experience, it's that line. If anything encapsulates the truth of what it is to deal with someone going through cancer, it's that line. If anything encapsulates the truth of what it means to know someone's dying, but refuse to accept it, even long after she has, it's that line. And if you've ever lost someone you love, you know that this is not just a conceit of a movie, that in many ways this is exactly what it feels like. In a way, as writers, we're always lying to the audience. It's our job to make the inevitable feel unpredictable. It's our job to understand what the audience is expecting and lead them to a place where they set aside their own expectations, where they start to tell themselves a different story so that we can surprise them in a way that feels like there's no other way it could have happened. And we're going to talk more later about how to build that kind of structure so that your audience can set down their guard and be pleasantly surprised by what you promised them all along. But in this particular movie, the reason that line works so well is because the main character is also lying to himself. And in this way, the writer is putting you into Greg's perspective rather than manipulating you like a typical cancer movie might. Rather than jerking your tears with melodrama, and making it about cancer, this writer succeeds by making it not about the cancer. This writer makes it about Greg. This writer makes it about a boy who is so afraid of getting hurt that he can't even call his best friend in the world his friend, that he has to call him his business associate. It's about a child of privilege who is so caught up in his own teenage angst that he hasn't learned how to take action in his own life or do something nice for someone unless he's pushed to do it by his mom or by Earl, or by the girl that he's got a crush on. It's about a boy who's not only lying to us, but also lying to himself. And he's not only lying to himself about Rachel's impending death, because there's another thing that Greg lies to us about and lies to himself about. Greg repeatedly lies to us that he's not in love with Rachel. He tells us that if this was a different kind of movie, they would fall in love and learn life lessons, but it's not that kind of movie. Greg repeatedly tells us that the love story that we see unfolding in front of our eyes isn't happening. Even though the structure of the movie is watching Greg let go of his obsession with the pretty girl at school and realize who he really wants to spend his prom with. Greg keeps telling us it's not happening. He keeps telling us that he's not falling in love with her, just like he keeps telling himself that he's not in love with her. He keeps telling himself she's not dying, just like he keeps telling himself she's not dying. And what this illustrates is a concept called primary structure. Oftentimes writers, especially writers of melodramas, want to make the audience cry. And oftentimes we try to make the audience cry without actually crying ourselves. We try to make the audience cry without making our characters cry, without having to fully step into what it's like to be our character at that moment. 
So I'd like for you to think about films as having two different levels of structure. There's the primary structure, which is the story that the character is telling themselves about the movie. In other words, the primary structure is the character's journey inside of the movie. On the simplest level, Greg's journey is that he's a dude who's terrified of making friends. He wants to belong to no clique to make sure he doesn't get ostracized from another clique. He wants to refer to Earl as his business associate so he doesn't have to risk getting hurt. And what better way to test this character than to let a real relationship develop between him and a girl who's dying? Because when he starts hanging out with Rachel, he doesn't do it by choice. He does it because his mom forces him. And that's the story he's telling himself, and that's who he believes himself to be. And that's the thing that makes it safe enough for him to do it. But the primary structure of the movie is Greg coming to realize who he actually cares about in the world. The primary structure of the movie is him coming to realize that Earl is right, that he hasn't taken any action that hasn't been forced upon him, that he hasn't been driving his own destiny, that he hasn't been choosing the things he wanted, that he hasn't been taking care of anybody but himself. The primary structure of the movie is Greg's journey and the change that Greg goes through in making himself vulnerable. And ultimately, that vulnerability is going to force Greg to pay the ultimate emotional price, a price even beyond the price that he's already afraid of with emotional connection. He's going to have to come to truly care for somebody, only to lose them. If you want to have a primary structure, you need to have a main character. And the way you know you have a main character is that your main character has a problem. And that problem is something inside of them. It's not something external. There might be something happening on the outside, forcing that internal problem to the surface. But it's got to be an internal problem. Otherwise, the movie ends up happening to the character rather than by the character. Otherwise, the movie ends up feeling like bad luck instead of structure. Greg's got a great main character because Greg's got a problem. Greg is a child of privilege, a kid who never had to make his own way and therefore only does things when he's forced to. Greg is a guy whose level of self-loathing, not only about his body, but also about his art, is probably something a lot of us as filmmakers can really understand. That feeling like everything we make is crap, like we can't really capture the things inside of ourselves. And maybe even sometimes like we can't even see the people around us. Greg is a guy who is so afraid of getting hurt by a friend that he can't even acknowledge the real friends that are right in front of him. A guy who's so afraid of getting hurt that even eating in the lunchroom is terrifying. Greg is a guy with a problem. And that problem doesn't happen to him. It happens by him. And that problem is brought into focus by an external force. And that external force is cancer. It's been argued that a flaw in the movie is that Rachel only exists to force Greg to change. But I actually disagree with that because I think what's so great about the movie is that we spend the whole movie inside of Greg's perspective. We see the Rachel the way that Greg sees Rachel. In fact, this is one of the beautiful things in the book that didn't make it into the film in words, but certainly made it into the film in terms of execution. As he's preparing to show Rachel the movie he made for her, Greg says in the book that what was so bad about the movie is that even though he made it for Rachel, it actually ended up not being about her at all. It just ended up being about him. And sometimes we do the same thing with our movies. Instead of making our movies about our characters, instead of stepping into our characters' stories, we end up making our movies about ourselves, trying to force them into what we want them to be, not realizing that inevitably we're going to find out what they really are. So in Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, we have got a character with a problem, and that problem is it's all about him. 
and him doesn't like him. And revealing him is terrifying to him. And this character goes on a journey where he lies to himself enough to end up opening himself up to someone who is going to die. This guy goes on a journey from being the dude getting trampled by a moose every time the hot girl in high school looks at him, to becoming a guy who turns down the prom date with her in order to spend time with his friend. This is a kid who goes on a journey. The primary structure of the movie is his journey with the hot relationships of his life. The changes he goes through in relation to Earl and Rachel and mom and dad, his art, and ultimately with himself. This is the primary structure of the main character's journey, and it doesn't have a darn thing to do with the audience. When you're building your primary structure, basically what you want to say to yourself is, screw the audience. Screw setting anything up, screw establishing, screw manipulating, screw making sure that it's clear to everybody that's watching, and instead allow yourself to step into the character and experience the world through their eyes. If you build a strong primary structure in your movie, if you build a strong change for your main character, where your character is changing in each act and each scene, when the movie is happening by them rather than to them, through the choices that they make, even if these choices are lies that they're telling themselves, when you do these things and concentrate on your primary structure, very little bad can happen to you. Unfortunately, for many writers, this is a very difficult thing to do because this means abandoning a lot of the things we've learned about writing. It means abandoning our outline where we planned every single event and instead surrendering to the messy chaos of our characters' lives. It means surrendering to the chaos of letting your character make their own choices, even when those choices don't line up with yours, by making it about them and not about you even when those choices don't seem to be leading you where you think you're trying to go. And we can see how brave Jesse Andrews, the writer, was in adapting his own novel. Because he made vast changes to the structure of the novel in order to make it work better as a screenplay. In fact, one of the biggest changes he made was at the ending of the movie. In the book, Rachel survives watching the movie. In fact, she even gives it a middling to negative review. But somewhere in the writing of the screenplay, Andrews realized that the structure of the movie needed to be different than the book. That in the film, it was going to be more effective if she died while watching the movie. That in the visual medium of film, the most powerful and devastating way for Greg to lose Rachel was different from what happened in the book. Just think about how brave that is, changing your own successful novel in order to make it work better for your characters. Writing primary structure means surrendering to your own instincts and the things that surprise you as you write your characters. And you can see this happening not only in the ending, but also in the way that the director put the movie together. One of the fabulous things about this film are those little mini-movies that Greg and Earl make. And during the filming of this movie, which was shot in only 25 days, very, very quickly, they set up a second unit to make all these little movies. And they made about 21 different movies. Basically, any time the actors were just sitting around, they grabbed them and started making little mini-movies with them. And that's a pretty chaotic way of building a movie. It wasn't about planning everything out It was about playing and experimenting and seeing where things went. 
And what's really incredible is that the director actually ended up using almost all of that footage, chopping it up in different ways and making it structural. And that's surrendering to your process. That's letting go of the urge to control everything. And instead, learning how to utilize the things that are right in front of you. Because in a way, as screenwriters, we all make the mistake that Greg makes. For example, you probably notice every time that Greg comes into Rachel's room, we see the scissors that are displayed above her desk. Every time he comes in, we see those scissors. During one of his conversations with her mom, she even talks about the scissors, how her daughter cut up all of her dad's books when he left because she was so angry. That's how the mom sees it. And Greg, like many writers, is so obsessed with what he is trying to do and where he is trying to go that he doesn't even stop. Just as oftentimes we don't stop to look at what's right in front of him in the room and ask Rachel, hey, what do you do with all those scissors? Why do you have scissors hanging up on your wall? And it's not until after she's gone that he actually learns what she does with those scissors, that he actually learns the true beauty of this character, that he actually learns who this character really is. Not by extrapolating something out into the future, but by looking at the thing that was right in front of him the whole time. When you build primary structure, you need to allow yourself to look at what's right in front of you the whole time. You need to allow yourself to look truthfully at who your character is, to use every object in the room, to sit in your scenes, rather than trying to get through them, to fully see and feel and hear the people that you're writing. Now, there's also another kind of structure, and that kind of structure is extremely alluring to young writers, and honestly, it's even more alluring to professional writers. It's really easy to get caught up in this kind of structure, which I call secondary structure. And the reason it's so easy to get caught up into this structure is that it doesn't hurt. And although it's a lot of work, it's not really that hard. It hurts to look inside of ourselves and find the characters who live there. It hurts to put our own personal truth on the page and risk being judged by others. It's scary to look around the room and notice something and not know what it is and have to explore it until you find out what those scissors actually are, what they actually do. It's terrifying to give our characters the reins and let them drive us. It feels so much safer to instead focus on secondary structure. So what is secondary structure? Secondary structure is the story that the audience tells themselves as they watch the movie. The way we, as screenwriters, deliver the story to the audience, scene by scene by scene. Now don't get me wrong, it's not that primary structure is right and secondary structure is wrong. The best films have both. They take care of the character and they take care of the audience. And in fact, one of the things that makes Me, Earl, and The Dying Girl work so darn well is that its secondary structure exists to amplify the primary structure. The way we tell ourselves the story of the movie as the audience reflects the way that Earl is telling himself the story of the movie as the character. It forces us to see the world through his eyes rather than through our own. It forces us to become the naive child who is lying to himself because he doesn't want to deal with the fact that this girl is dying. He doesn't want to deal with the fact that he wants to go to college. He doesn't want to deal with the fact that he wants friends. He doesn't want to deal with the fact that he is falling in love. In the best movies, and we can see this in movies like Memento or Adaptation, 500 Days of Summer, even a silly movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, in the best movies, primary and secondary structure work to serve one another. 
So you could think about primary structure as the product that your movie delivers and secondary structure as the packaging that you wrap it in that makes it appealing for an audience. And the mistake that most writers make is that they end up building the package before they build the product. In other words, they end up building all the things that are designed to create a good experience for the audience before understanding what those things are actually supposed to hold. And this goes wrong for a couple of reasons. Number one, it takes years to build craft. Primary structure you can do right now because your personal truth and every character you'll ever write already exists inside of you. It's there already in the story that you're telling yourself every day. And so if you focus on primary structure, even if your craft is not perfect, even if it's your first screenplay, like when Diablo Cody wrote Juno, her craft wasn't perfect. She didn't yet know how to write characters who who spoke differently from one another. But boy, her art was there. Her primary structure was fantastic. And who cares if all the characters spoke like Diablo Cody? By putting her own personal truth on the page, she transcended the lack of craft and bought herself the time to actually develop it. Now, there are occasionally writers whose craft is so good that they can fake it and trick us. That they can actually manipulate us into emotion without having to experience the emotion themselves. Without having to put their personal truth on the page. But my God, is it hard? It's going to take years and years and years of experience in order to build enough craft to effectively manipulate the audience. And not only that, you're going to have less of a transformative experience writing the movie. When we try to write secondary structure before we have the experience, oftentimes we end up sounding like many writers do, like a used car salesman. And like someone who is acting like they're being truthful, but you can just feel the smarminess on them. You just know that there's no engine in that car, no matter how good the paint job. In writing, this is often the habit we have of setting things up, establishing this, clarifying this, laying in the trick ending, pulling all the strings like we're some kind of puppet master. When we haven't yet learned how to master the puppet, when we don't even know who the puppet is or what the story is about, So as writers, we need art and we need craft and we need the fusion of the two. And what we want to do is develop this kind of three-pronged approach to our writing. We do this here at the studio with our meditative writing class on the art side and our craft class on the craft side. And my Write Your Screenplay workshop fusing the two together. And you need the three of them if you're going to succeed as a writer. But if you're not sure what door to go through, go through the primary structure door first. Take a character who has a problem and learn how to take them on a journey that's built by their choices. Learn how to build a structure around your instincts and your character's instincts rather than around your plans. And then start applying the craft you need in order to deliver that to the audience in the most effective possible way. Ideally, not to manipulate your audience, but to put your audience in the shoes of your main character so that your audience can let their guard down and experience the movie as if it were real, just like your character is experiencing it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to study with me in New York City, online, or on one of our international screenwriting retreats, please visit my website, writeyourscreenplay.com.